Well, welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, I'll be leading us into our conversation here on what's the difference. And over the last a week or so, Pastor Jeff has been out at our Momentum Youth Conference. Every year there's a, a national youth conference where hundreds of teenagers, actually thousands of teenagers will gather together, and Pastor Jeff uh, helps to lead that, and so he's been doing that with our youth, and uh, they are just wrapping that up this weekend. So I'll be with you again this week as we talk about what's the difference. And uh, we have been in this series over the last handful of weeks and really asking the question, uh, what's the difference between really the, the core message of Christianity, right? If you had to boil down the message of Christianity, boil down the Bible and what Jesus was really trying to communicate, you would walk away with a message uh, called the gospel, right? And the gospel literally means good news, and we said, what if we take the message of the gospel and, and we take kind of various world faith systems and, and we take the, the gospel and we look at those faith systems next to each other and we ask the question, what's the difference? Right? What, what's the difference between what Jesus had to say and, and what Islam would say? Right? What, what's the difference between what Jesus had to say and, and maybe what Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or what Catholicism would say? Right? What's the difference between what biblical New Testament Christianity communicates through the message of the gospel and kind of the, the rest of the world, what, did, what would they communicate? And so our heartbeat with this, this series is certainly not to be uh, offensive, or I think if you know, if you're around here in any way at Grace, we try to do everything with gentleness and respect. However, we do want to be clear we do want to be clear that, that what Jesus has spoken to us, right, through the message of the Bible is a unique message. And really, it's an exclusive message, right, that, that is different than the other messages that we're going to be exposed to throughout our life and throughout the world. And so what we want to do is continue to ask that question, what's the difference? And what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into a conversation on, uh, on Mormonism. And so we want to be able to do that. And uh, we're certainly going to learn a little bit about Mormonism today. What we're going to do before we dive into any kind of details about the Mormon faith is we want to get in a ballpark. And we've been using uh, the book of Galatians really to help center us in, in our conversations. And we're going to do that again today. This book is a phenomenal book of the Bible in regards to dealing with other messages, right? When there's an additional message introduced other than the message of the gospel, what do you do with that and how do you deal with that? And that's actually the situation that this entire book of the Bible was written in and that's why we really landed there and have continued to stay there over the last handful of weeks. So guys, if you, uh, if you missed any of these previous conversations, I'd encourage you to get caught up online. Uh, you can catch that. Pastor Jeff walked us through kind of the gospel a handful of weeks ago. We talked about Islam two weeks ago, and then uh, Catholicism last weekend, and of course today is going to be on Mormonism, all kind of coming out of the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. And we're really going to set up shop in one passage in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible or newer translation of the Bible, please grab a Bible from underneath. There's actually some right in your chairs there right in front of you. You can grab one. Uh, take that home with you, actually, if you don't have a copy of God's Word. But use it today, and it can become uh, yours as well if you need a Bible. So Galatians chapter 1, here is what's happening. As you turn there in your Bibles, let me give us a little bit more background 
The Apostle Paul has started a group of churches in this region of Galatia, right? And this set of churches, there would have been multiple churches together. He would have given them this message of the gospel. He's the one that started these churches, right? He told them the good news about Jesus. And right, if we're going to define the gospel, we put it back in your program. Here's a quick review. Here's basically what he would have helped us to understand. Look along with me. We said this a few weeks ago. The gospel is this. It's recognizing that I'm a sinner, right? That Jesus is the only Savior. That my salvation is received because of God's favor as a free gift. The way that I access all that is when I humble myself and repent of my sin, asking God for forgiveness. So Paul would have introduced this group of people to that message. And now what has happened is Paul has found out that a group of other teachers have come and they've brought another message to these group of churches that Paul helped to, to found and to start. And he is bothered by that. He is bothered deeply by that. And we're gonna see that right away as we look at this letter and look at what Paul is speaking to us here in Galatians. So let's look at it together. Galatians chapter one, verse six. Here is what Paul says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, right, in the favor of Christ, and that you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He, he, he starts out his letter, and what you have to understand when we look at this section of scripture is in the ancient format of how letters were written, there was kind of a cadence or a rhythm to how they were written. And so usually you would introduce yourself in the first couple verses, Paul does that. You would give a greeting in the next set of verses, Paul does that. And then typically what Paul would do with his letters to the other churches in the next section of scripture, Paul would commend them for their faith. He would look at them and say, oh, oh, your faith is awesome. You're producing good works and you, you are commendable in the way that you are following Jesus. He deletes that entire section and instead of commending them their, for their faith, he's rebuking them kind of right from Jump Street and that to the Galatian readers would have been a loud and a clear message that Paul is not happy and that the readers really need to pay attention to what's happening. So he says this, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, that you're turning away from the message that I gave you, you're turning to a different gospel. Now here's the heartbeat of what's happening. When, when Paul is rebuking them and being fired up about them moving to this other gospel, here's why, here's why, here's what's happening. To desert the gospel is to desert the God of the gospel, okay? Let me say that again. You jot that down maybe in your notes. To desert the gospel is to desert the God of the gospel. Paul's saying, guys, if you walk away from the message that I gave you, I need you to understand this. You're walking away from God himself because that message is the way that we stay anchored into God Right? That is the message that God has given and to abandon or to desert that message is to desert the God who gave that message. This is serious stuff, Paul is saying. He says, I'm astonished that you're leaving the God who's given you this gospel. Now, I, I didn't have the whiteboard today, but I do have this, I know, you're all sad, aren't you? Right, 
creative arts team finally took it away from me. They're like, no more, buddy. You're cut off. So I do have uh, this today to, uh, let's, for the sake of our conversation, let's pretend that this water is the gospel. Okay, for the next 35 minutes, this water is the gospel. Right, and so we're going to pour it in here, and the gospel, the message of Jesus is going to be contained here in this cup. And I want to isolate for us exactly what we're talking about when we talk about deserting the gospel. Because there's some things that Paul's not saying when he's talking about deserting the gospel. I want to make sure this is clear. Right? Because sometimes we walk into Christianity from, from kind of the outside and look at it, and sometimes people say, well, Christianity's 2,000 years old, right? Haven't we already changed? Hasn't the church already changed so many times that we've really left the original roots of the faith anyway? I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before. I hear that sometimes. That's not what Paul's talking about. When Paul's talking about deserting the gospel, he's not worried about the church changing. He, he might say it this way, you can have all kinds of different containers of the gospel. The gospel can show up in, and can be held in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. If your church changes, that's fine. If you have different kinds of programs, that's fine. If the gospel shows up in different languages, that's fine. If you have a building or if you don't have a building, that's fine. The containers can change. You can have all different shapes and sizes. Paul's going to say, but don't mess with the substance. Don't mess with the water. Change the container. Get creative. It can look different. But when you start changing what's actually in here, we have a real and a serious problem. When I'm deserting the gospel, I'm deserting the God of the gospel. Paul's not talking about containers. He's not talking about what holds the gospel. He's not talking about the mechanism in which the gospel would come to us. So there could be a million different kind of pictures, right, that come and deliver the gospel. He's not saying that you need to teach in a certain way. He's not saying that there needs to be a certain kind of communication mechanism that happens to bring the gospel. He's not saying, hey, I'm the only one that can give the gospel, He's saying this. He's saying, do not mess with the water. Okay? Don't tamper with it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Protect the purity, the sincerity of the gospel. And to change it, to leave it, to alter it, is to desert the one who gave it. What Paul was fired up about is this, that the church that he began to start, that he founded, was being introduced to different elements as they were being added in, right? Somebody came along and they began to add in additional pieces to the message of the gospel. Here's the tricky part. Jesus was still a part of it, right? Jesus still showed up in the message, but there were other things that were showing up as well. And what Paul would point into and lean into is say this, if you begin to add additional elements to the gospel, you change the very thing that it is. It becomes 
something different. And Paul would say that's a problem. We have a fundamental issue if we begin to change this. Now, I'm pretty sure if we went and asked 100 people uh, what's in this cup, I'm pretty sure they would say what? What would they say? All at once, I want to hear you guys say this. What's in this cup? Do it with me. One, two, three, on the count of three, what's in this? You guys are awesome. That was fantastic. Okay, now, on the count of three, tell me what's in this cup. This is going to be fun. One, two, three, what's in this one? Tea. Tea, fantastic. You guys are geniuses. I love it. Okay? We all know that, right? If I went to a restaurant and I asked for water and you brought me this, I would be like, clearly we have a problem, right? This is an issue. Now, here's where this gets tricky. If I show up and I have an agenda where I want to make my message seem like the gospel, if I have an agenda where I want to make this water, I might pursue a line of reasoning that might look something like this. What's the big deal? What's in this cup is 98% of what's in this cup, right? They're both filled with water. What's the big deal? All I did was add a little bit of a tea bag. It's basic, they're both, they're both water. They're basically the same exact thing. Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't be so ju- judgmental. These are water. Oh, it's all the same. How quickly and how easily and how persuasive would it be if everybody, right, if a thousand people begin to say that this is all water and you launch some arguments that these things are basically the same, pretty quickly you look and you say, oh, I am convinced, yeah, that that this is water, even though it's become something fundamentally different. It's become tea. We all know that. Five minutes ago, we all knew it was tea. Now, you get a little more creative, add a couple other things. I got some Drano here. This is fun. It's just so fun to play with things on the stage. Here we go. Okay. Right, I added a little more Drano than I wanted to. That's okay. Let's say we change the consistency of these two cups by like 5% total. I just added a little bit of Drano. Just a little bit, right? Now, what I've done is I've added tea and Drano to this cup. What I've done is I've changed this from water to Drano tea. Do you see the difference? Watch how this works. If I go to drink this, you're all fine, right? I go to drink this, you should stop me, people. You were going to let me drink it, weren't you? I know who my real friends are now. They're two fundamentally different things. A few little additives, a few extra ingredients. Boy, we changed the whole thing. It's a completely different message. This is what Paul was talking about. This is why Paul was fired up. As he looked at the Galatians, as he interacted with the Galatians, here's what he said. Look in verse 7. He says, hey, this thing, 
This is no gospel at all. This is not good news, what is being brought to you. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Listen to this phrase. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even, he says, but even if we, if I come back to you or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, he says. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody's preaching you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. That phrase, under God's curse, would basically be this, let them be damned. Let them be damned. Why? Because I'm introducing death to people. I'm leading people away from life, away from the true gospel to a message that is false. This one leads to life, this one leads to death. If you are introducing this message, you're introducing a message of death to people. You are hurting and you are harming people. Let them be under God's curse. He goes on, he says, he realizes that this is not a popular thing to say. It was not popular in Paul's day. It is not popular in our day. He says, am I now trying to win the approval, approval of human beings or of God? Am I still trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul realizes the gravity of what he's saying. The gravity of what he's saying is that this message alone is the true message of life. To alter this in any way, shape, or form is to move away from life and it becomes a message of death. It becomes a false gospel. Now, about this time, we're all asking the question, so what about Mormonism again? Where does it show up? And ironically, uh, it's a perfectly fitting conversation for us, right? In verse eight, it says, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a, a gospel other than the one we preached to you, the Mormon church came into existence actually di- directly from a, an angelic vision that a man named Joseph Smith had about 200 years ago. So I'm gonna take you guys on a crash course on Mormonism. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's gonna be a crash course on Mormonism. We're gonna talk about this. I'm gonna give you a couple minutes of history and then I'm gonna give you a couple minutes on what the Mormon church believes today. We wanna get our, our hearts and minds around this. But you gotta buckle up because we're gonna cover a lot super duper fast, okay? So stay with me. Here's how this worked. Here we go. The Mormon church began uh, about uh, 200, not even quite 200 years ago, early 1800s. Here's what was happening. A young man named Joseph Smith was in a religious culture called the Second Great Awakening. So he's part of a large family. That large family uh, would have seen major awakenings within the church where lots of people were coming to know Jesus. There were different denominations, however. Different churches is how that would have felt. And their, their family was divided over which church to be a part of, which was the true church. Joseph Smith, as a young man, was tormented by that. He didn't know which church to be a part of as a teenager, he was wrestling with that question. He watched division play out in his family as they were trying to figure that out. And what happened is this. Joseph Smith claimed that he would have a vision of both God the Father and Jesus Christ, both in bodily form. He would ask them the question, which is the true church? He claimed that they answered back to him, all the churches are an abomination to me. 
Joseph Smith, I want you to go start a new church and restore the original intent of my heart for the church. Joseph Smith, as a young man, uh, would wait a couple more years. He would have another vision. He would have a vision of an angel named Moroni. You can check all this history out on your own. Moroni would tell Joseph Smith this. He said, there's gonna be some golden plates. On those golden plates is a language called, that they would claim it this way. He claimed that he had this vision with Moroni and on the golden plates would be the language of reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics. A few more years later, Joseph Smith would claim to have found these golden plates. He claimed that he would translate these golden plates into the Book of Mormon. He used a complex system to do that. And in that Book of Mormon then would become, according to his claim, additional revelation from God and that he believed that he would go start really a a new trajectory that he believed was the true church of Jesus. We would know the Mormon church now is uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints. You might hear it that way today. What happened then is Joseph Smith would have additional visions. He claimed that uh, John the Baptist uh, appeared to him and gave him the Aaronic priesthood, which is a whole complex thing, right? So he would have multiple visions. He would claim to have these visions. He would interact with uh, really divine or angelic beings, and they were telling him to go start something else other than the message of the gospel given directly in Scripture. Here's what would happen historically. Joseph Smith began a little group, kind of started a fledgling church, Uh, They would move, um, the fast forward version is they would move to Ohio, they would then move to Zion, Missouri, and then they would land in a place called uh, Nauvoo, Illinois. And here's kind of how it worked. Everywhere they went, there would be uh, kind of be marked by um, tension, accusation, and and really uh, scandal is frankly how it played out. And in Nauvoo, where they would ultimately land, here's what happened, is they kind of got kicked out of each place and had to continue to flee as a young, a fledgling um, movement. Here's what happened as they set up camp in Nauvoo. Uh, Joseph Smith claimed that God revealed to him that polygamy uh, was God's will for for humanity, right? So having multiple wives. And so that polygamy would be practiced among the leadership of the Mormon church, more scandal ensued. The print, uh, printing press, the print media would, um, would kind of print and expose some things about the Mormon church publicly. Joseph Smith uh, was infuriated by that. He, he actually, um, he and some followers vandalized the printing press. They were arrested for that. Joseph Smith was put in jail and a mob that was very upset with Joseph Smith would ultimately kill him uh, be, because of all that was happening. That would end Joseph Smith's life. His second in command, Brigham Young, would pick up this fledgling movement. He would move them out of the United States because they were unable to function within the country of the the United States, and he would move them to Utah. Utah was not a state yet. It was not part of the Union. And so he'd move them to Salt Lake City. Their hope was we set up shop here. We kind of uh, become a people waiting for Jesus to return and we, we establish the kingdom of God on earth, and then Jesus will come back. That's kind of how it all got started. That's the history of it. Right? So the authority of the Mormon church rests on Joseph Smith's 
vision, claimed to be vision of these divine and or angelic beings telling him to pursue a different message. Okay, you guys still with me? Okay, good. Great, great job. It's a lot of information really, really fast. Let me give you the five differences that they're going to show up. These are kind of the summary of the main teachings of Mormonism here in, in a few quick minutes. So here's five. I'm going to run through them super fast. Just want to give you guys an idea of what's happening. Number one is the Mormon church has developed over the last uh, couple hundred, uh, 150 years or so, they have developed different scriptures. That's the first thing. It's going to be a difference. Different scriptures. So what I have here is uh, the Book of Mormon, something called Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. So those would be three different works that the Mormon church would lock into. And here's how they would view it. Uh, they believe in the King James only, King James Version of the Bible only. And here's how they would say it. We believe in the King James Bible um, where it is accurately translated. So basically, the lens they would view the Bible through, the King James-only version of the Bible, is through the grid of their Mormon doctrine. Okay, that's the best way to understand it, the clearest way to understand it. So they would look and they would have different scriptures. I have a good friend who's a Mormon, and uh, when I was in Bible college just a handful of years ago now, we used to have conversations all the time, you know, about what we believe and about the gospel and this whole thing that we're talking about today. And I remember one time uh, we we're having this conversation. He's like, man, I'm done talking to you, <laughs> right? He's like, do you want to just go talk to my bishop? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> I would love to do that, right? So I went, I went to go kind of have a conversation with his bishop. By the way, one of the nicest guys on the planet, uh, Mormon folks, I think in general, are some of the nicest people I've ever met. You know, and I got to talk to him about the, the scriptures, right? And I didn't even fully get my head around all of this at the time, but what I could tell as we talked about scripture is that we were viewing it from a different perspective, a different grid. And now I understand why is he was viewing it through the lens of, of what he believes is Mormon scripture, and I was viewing it from the, from the message of the Bible alone. And at the end of the day, that these two things really can't coexist fully. They, they don't make sense together. They contradict one another. Different scriptures. Uh, number two, different belief about salvation. So there, there's five pieces to salvation. I'll run through them real quick. Uh, here's how it works. There's faith. Uh, you have to be baptized to be saved in the, in the Mormon church. Remember, baptized is getting dunked. In, in water, right? You, you have to repent, say, I'm sorry for my sin. You need to have a member, uh, a leader of the church uh, give you the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. They would say Holy Ghost. And then uh, number five is to live a life of obedience. And if you do all five of those things, you have salvation is how that would work. Different belief about salvation here at Grace and uh, all biblical uh, New Testament Christianity would believe in faith through grace in Christ and his work alone. Number three is differences about eternity, actually about the, the Trinity, the Trinity. I was talking to my friend, actually, who's a former Mormon who goes here to grace, and I asked him, what, what's the biggest difference that jumped out to you? And he said, oh, by, by and large, it's, it's uh, the Trinity. He said a couple of things. He said, really, it's the Trinity. 
He said that the, the Mormon church doesn't really believe in the Trinity. They believe that God is in human flesh and he really is God, that Jesus really isn't God, but he's a son of God. And really in the same way that we can become sons of God, the Mormon theology would teach that all of us can become God, become a God at one point. It's part of how God's plan works according to the Mormon church. And, and he would say the Trinity, the doctrine that, that God is three in one does not show up the other thing that he said is that the focus, at least in his experience of Mormonism, was more on Joseph Smith than it was on Jesus Christ. So Jesus would show up, but more and more it was, the focal point was on Joseph Smith. Different beliefs about the Trinity, different practices. If you ever hear about uh, people being baptized for the dead, here's how that would work in the Mormon church. Because uh, they believe you have to be baptized to be saved, they, you can be baptized for your ancestors in the Mormon church, and they believe that gives people a chance to have salvation. Ultimately, number five, it's a different gospel. It's a different message. There's your, there's your five. Different scripture, different belief about salvation, different belief about Trinity, different practices, and different gospel. I want to make sure this is clear as well, too, before we move on. The Mormon Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, does not believe in polygamy, does not practice polygamy any longer. I want to make sure that's crystal clear because that's an area of controversy. They believe that that has ceased. When we talk about uh, Mormonism in Christianity, it's important for us to realize there is a fundamental difference between these two messages. There's a difference between the message of what Jesus gave and the message that Joseph Smith brought to the world according to the revelations that he claimed to have. They're, they're, they're two different things. Mormonism is not a, uh, a denomination of Christianity. It's, it's a different gospel. It's a different thing. And here's the thing. The gospel is not Jesus plus anything. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. We have to continue coming back to that conversation. Just because there's a little bit of Jesus in something does not mean that it is the pure, untampered with message of the gospel. Because here's the thing, Jesus is gonna show up in Mormonism. And by the way, this, this is true of Mormonism, but there's a temptation to see this difference all over the place where we could look and say, Jesus plus anything is the gospel. And I want to make sure we're crystal clear. Just because a little bit of Jesus is in it does not mean it's the gospel. Just because Jesus shows up in a business proposal, they prayed one time. I think it's legitimate, I think it's the real, that does not necessarily mean that it's the real message. It doesn't mean they believe it's the real message. By the way, in the Galatian church, Jesus was a part of this false message that Paul was talking about. The message of the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And I have to get a hold of that and the reality of that is this 
When I say Jesus plus nothing, I realize, I have to realize that I'm excluding all of the other messages as valid leading to eternal life. I'm saying something that is true and I'm saying something that is false. And I realize that in our day and in our time, that is very challenging to do and it's very offensive. We need to always do that with gentleness and respect. The landing place for us has to be that I own this message. One of the things that's been mind-blowing to me is I've uh, interacted and studied Catholicism, studied Mormonism, studied, of course, our faith, and I know our church, is that most people in all of the faiths don't really know their message. They don't really own their message. And they look at these two, and they basically say they're the same thing. They're 98%. But right, we recognize that they're different. The reality is one leads to life and one is incredibly harmful to me. So what do I do with this conversation? How do I walk away and take this into action? Guys, this in my opinion, actually it's not even my opinion, it's the Bible's opinion and the strength and of this message comes directly from Jesus. Watch this. Look at verse 11 real quick with me. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not make this up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul's gonna say, the, the message that Jesus has given us is made valid because Jesus rose from the dead. He is the one who has the right and the authority as the king of the universe to define the way that we find life. Now our walk away, our takeaway, I realize that some of us are here and we're investigating different messages. Like we're asking the question for ourselves, What's the difference? And here's what I would encourage us to do if that's where you are today. Would you go all in in your investigation? Would you look and truly get your heart and your mind around the message that Jesus brought to us? If you need help in doing that, there's a phenomenal resource for you. It's a book called The Case for Christ. It's a story about a man who set out to disprove the message of Christianity and the evidence that he ran into convinced him that this is indeed the only message that leads to life. It's called The Case for Christ. Check it out. If you're investigating these two messages or multiple different messages, would you dive into that? Not according to what Grace Church says, not according to what another faith system says, into the Bible yourself. Because I know there's, there's a ton of us here that would look and say, I'm in. I believe in Jesus. I've put my faith in Christ. I know that I'm a Christ follower. But, it, but if I'm real honest, 
I don't really know why I believe what I believe. I don't know why I've landed at that conclusion. And, and at first blush, I'm not really sure how to tell the difference between what Jesus has said and what someone else has said with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. I, I couldn't discern the difference between those messages on my own. Because if, if that's where you are, would you make it a project to take full ownership of your faith? I think that, that has to be what Paul's driving at. Is, as he's looking at the Galatians, he's saying, Guys, you, you can't tell the difference. That, that's why you're confused. He's saying, you need to own the message of the gospel so that you know why you believe what you believe and you know without a shadow of a doubt what it is you actually believe. Guys, here at Grace, there are unbelievable resources to help you own your faith. There are classes, there are groups, there are people that can help deepen your level of understanding and your conviction about the message of Jesus. If you want that, oh, there are unbelievable resources to help you with that. Just let us know. Literally, on the, on the connection card, you can just say, hey, I want to own my faith, help me. You know, and we'll follow up with you and begin to help you take next steps. Guys, for the rest of us, if we believe this message is true, we believe what Jesus said, and we really love people, we have to be people that become ambassadors of this message. Right? Because I don't want someone that I love taking in something that's going to harm them. Here's the reality. Um, people, many people of the Mormon faith, many people of all kinds of faith, this would have been true of myself for the majority of my life, are sincere and misinformed. I was a sincere atheist. I sincerely believed there was not a God. I sincerely believed that I could have saved myself. I was taking this in deeply. I needed someone to come and bring me a real gospel. Someone who loved me enough to tell me the truth. Mormons, they're, they're not evil people. People who believe, they're not evil people. They're sincere people who sincerely need a real gospel. Who will bring that to them if we will not? Because we, we own our faith and we become ambassadors of our faith. And we take it to a lost and sincere world. Because I want to have the band come out. I want to pray for us. This is a, a big conversation. But it has to land at a place of ownership. I want to pray that for each of us. Father, thank you that you love us enough 
to bring us a message of life. And Lord, you've given us all that we need to be able to see the difference between the true gospel and the myriad of false gospels. God, would you put within us a fire to own our faith deeply, to be people that know what we believe and to know why we believe it and to be compelled out of sheer love and compassion to communicate that message to a world around us. Or would you burn that into us today? Grow our faith, Lord. Deepen our conviction. Make us people who own your message as deeply as you do. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you today. It's in your name that we pray, Christ. Amen.